Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to read to you the whole chapter. We will not be covering the whole chapter tonight, but hopefully, Lord willing, we will cover the first four horses and the first four seals of the book of Revelation in chapter 6. Now I watched, John says, when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and their generals, and the rich and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now, as you're going to see as we go on further in our study, that there are, as we've already seen, there are seven seals on this scroll. And when the seventh seal is opened, there's all of a sudden going to be seven trumpets. And when the seventh trumpet is blown, then there's going to be seven more bowls. And so there's going to be a progressive worsening of everything that goes on. For tonight, though, we're going to probably only get as far as the first four seals and deal with these four things that occur at the beginning of the tribulation and carry on into the tribulation period. We see as Jesus begins to open the seals, we see one of the four living creatures tell John to come, and then he sees a rider on a white horse come forth with a bow and a crown. Now, there is debate as to whether or not uh, the, 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 for, the living creature is telling John to come and look or whether or not the, the living creature was calling the rider on the white horse to come. Either way... Both are probably accurate because John's want, being told to come and see. Yet at the same time, I think as you're going to see from the scriptures as we look at tonight, that the four living creatures are involved under God's direction in orchestrating what's going on in this time period. And that'll hopefully become clear in a little bit. Now, this rider on the white horse who has a crown, he's got a bow. We don't see any arrow or any, any weapons. He's got a bow, but, it, but otherwise there's nothing there and he's got a crown. There are some people that tried to say that this is Jesus because if you look later on at Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus actually comes back to the earth, he's riding on a white horse and if you know, he's uh, got a crown on his head and a sword is coming from his mouth as he comes to set up his kingdom and defeat his enemies when he comes literally to the earth. So some people have said this is the same thing and it's not and I can give you three quick reasons why. 
The first one is the difference between the word crown. In the Greek, the word crown is stephanos here in Revelation chapter 6. The type of crown that this person has is a victor's crown. In other words, they have this crown because of conquest and victory. Yet the one that Jesus wears is in the Greek diadema, and it's actually a royal type of a crown. And so when Jesus comes, he's wearing a different type of crown that this, than this person's wearing, okay? Now, on top of that, we also see that this person has a bow, and they have no weapons. There's no arrows or anything, no quiver. But when Jesus comes, he has the sword coming out of his mouth, and he's defeating with the weapon that he has. And on top of that, there's an even more clear reason why this isn't Jesus. Does anybody know why? I'm sorry? Well, it doesn't say it's Jesus, but there's another reason. He's coming out because Jesus is the one who's opening the seals. Jesus is already shown here. Jesus is the one opening the seals. And as Jesus opens the seals, this other writer shows up. It, he, he, it, it's not Jesus for lots of reasons. Actually, this individual on the white horse, the Bible's been telling us, Old Testament and New, for years that he was coming. This is the one who pretends to be Jesus, the Antichrist. And so let's take a little bit and let's look at how the Bible's been showing us for a while. I'm just going to touch on just a few of the passages. Go to Daniel chapter 9. The Bible's been telling us for a while that this Antichrist is coming. Daniel chapter 9. And look at verses 26 and 27. Later in our study, we'll come back to uh, this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 and look at it in a lot more detail. But for now, we're just going to just pull it out and uh, take out a section of it. In the section where Daniel is told that 77s are decreed for the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. And as if you've done the study, all of them except one last seven year period are left for the nation of Israel. And it says in verse 26 of Daniel chapter 9, And after the 62 weeks, an, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. By the way, some of your translations shall say, probably say Messiah. By the way, does anybody say Messiah? Love it. Love it. Messiah is actually the best translation of that. By the way, the word Messiah and the word Christ, same thing. Anointed one, Christ, Messiah, they're all interchangeable. All right. So it, it, you might even have some New Testament uh, translations that use Messiah instead of Christ. It's fine. It's just the Greek word is Christ, but it means Messiah, which is the Old Testament Hebrew word. All right. But look closely. It says, and after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And that's, as you know, at the end of that time period, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and then he was put to death. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he, this is the one who is to come, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week or one seven year period. And for half of the week, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come the one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Again, seems a little cloudy, a little hard to understand. But if you put it all together with the fact that the Bible's talking about this one who's going to come and he's going to make a covenant with the many for one seven year period, Israel's going to be included in this covenant. And at the halfway point, we see here at the half of that week or the half three and a half year period, he's going to step into the wing of the temple at that time, which will be rebuilt at that time. He's going to step into the wing of the temple and declare himself to be God. Now, you'll say, well, how do we know this? Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 12. 
Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us that, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it, that'll be important later on. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one, this Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So here Paul says, look, <laughs> anybody trying to tell you that we sent a letter, that a letter came from us saying that the day of the Lord's already come, don't listen to it. Because you know the day of the Lord won't come until the man of lawlessness is revealed. By the way, as you're going to see here in our study of Revelation, he's going to come on the scene and he's going to get victory. He's going to get conquest. He's going to get authority. Yet, at the same time, he's not going to do it with warfare. He's going to do it with, later on, we'll deal more with this as we, I introduce you to him in more detail down later on in our study. He's going to do it with cunning and flattery and deceit and intrigue. But he will reveal himself to be who he really is when? At the halfway point of that seven-year period. He'll confirm a covenant with the many. And everybody's going to think he's a wonderful person and a great world leader. But the fact that he's the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, won't be revealed until the midway point of the tribulation when he steps into the temple and declares himself to be God and says, oh, by the way, everything else I said wasn't true. I was tricking you. Now... For years, Christians have sat in Sunday school trying to figure out who the Antichrist might be. Let me save you a lot of time. The Bible says he won't be revealed until that midpoint of the tribulation. You don't want to be here when he's revealed. We're going to be, we're going to be removed prior to him being revealed. And we're going to deal with that he who restrains in a little bit later on. But let me just say this to you. Don't waste your time trying to figure out, is Obama, or is it Reagan, or was it Napoleon? People, Jimmy Carter, there have been all these different people that over the years that people have tried to say, this is the Antichrist. There are people even trying to say that the new leader of, 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 of Greece could be the guy. Don't waste your time. He won't be revealed until, first of all, we're gone, and until the midpoint of the tribulation. So... Don't waste your time with that. But he is still to come. You're in 2 Thessalonians. Keep turning to the right and go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. By the way, we've already done this part of the study. Let me make sure it's still stuck in your head. Why was John saying this the last hour? He wrote this 2,000 years ago. Why? I'm sorry? 
Well, they're definitely living like they're expecting him to come back in their lifetime. But there's a reason why they lived like they're expecting Jesus to come back in their lifetime. We're in the last time period before all this stuff we're, gonna, we're reading about in Revelation is going to happen. There's nothing else to happen. There's all the different dispensations. Remember, I've laid them all out for you, how God worked in the garden and how God worked from the time of the garden until the time of Moses. And then God worked in a different way from the time of Moses with the law until the time of Christ. And then we have the church age. But the church age is going to come to a close. And then he finishes. And, all, and most of the prophecies, folks, listen closely. Most of the prophecies in the Bible all cover the very, very last days. Tribulation period, millennial kingdom, and all that, and the new heaven and the new earth. What's next to come? We're in the last time period right before he takes the church and the tribulation begins. And all that happens with the nation of Israel, that seven-year period. Jesus comes back to the earth, sets up his one little kingdom. That's why he said we're in the last hour. By the way, if we were in the last hour, almost 2,000 years ago when John wrote this, we're in the last seconds, all right? So don't try to figure it out or predict it. But this person's going to gain victory and conquest. There's, an, there's many antichrists. And one of the ways that you'll find out that the Bible it goes on in this passage to say that you'll know that someone is antichrist is that they say that Jesus isn't who he really is. That they say that Jesus, God didn't come in the flesh. Folks, that is the one thing that separates us from anybody else. True Christianity from all those who claim to be Christian is the fact that we believe and we know the Bible says that Jesus is God. This man that came to the earth was not just a man, but he was God in the flesh. The Jehovah's Witness don't believe that he was God. They believe he was an emanation from God. They believe he was close to God, but he wasn't God himself. The Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he's a brother of Satan, but he's a child of God or a son of God. And you're a son of God and I'm a son of God. They don't believe that Jesus is God. What separates real, true Christianity from all the others who claim to be Christian is the fact that Jesus is God. That Jesus has come in the flesh. The Messiah has come in the flesh, God himself. Now there's many who've been anti-Christ, if you will. But there is an antichrist you see here that is still coming. There is one that the prophecies have been saying all along. When the beginning of the tribulation begins and Jesus begins to open the scrolls, remember we, in our last study, the angels at the four winds weren't allowed to do any damage during this time period until the 444,000 Jewish witnesses were sealed. Once they were sealed, then Jesus begins to open these, these seals. And what happens? The first thing we see is that this one who pretends to be Jesus is going to come on the scene and he's going to get power and victory and conquest. He was given the authority to con conquer and to conquest. He's going to do it by intrigue and flattery. Three and a half years later, you're going to find out who he really is. Well, not you, hopefully, but the world. For the sake of time, I won't read this to you, but write this down and look at it later on for yourself. Go look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, and then verses 15 through 28. And you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to read it to you fast. It's just, it's too, it's too amazing. Daniel chapter 7. Look at verses 1 through 8 with me, and then verses 15 through 28. I really want you to see it, and then hopefully you'll say, hey, I want to read that some more myself. In the first year of Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven, there it is again, were stirring up the great sea, and the four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. 
The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and it was made to stand on two feet like a man. And the man, mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It's in its mouth, sorry, another bit like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, a fourth kingdom, terrifying and great and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, which before before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Go to chapter 7, verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive king, the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and clays of, claws of bronze, which it devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down the three kings and he shall speak put down three kings and he shall speak words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for how long three and a half years for a time times and half a time but the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So Daniel was given a vision of this one who's going to come at the very end, this last world kingdom. There have been, like the Persians and the, the Greeks and the Romans, there is one coming still. There is a one world government that is still yet to come. And it's going to be in charge. And it's going to be made up of ten kings. Ten kingdoms are going to come together to make this one world government. From among them, one is going to rise up. And the prophecy says that he's going to remove three. And he's going to become the ruler of all this. And then he's going to reveal himself to be who he really is. So again, this rider on the white horse, we've been told that he was coming. We see now Jesus opens the first seal, and as he opens the first seal, what happens? This rider comes out to have conquest and to conquer, and he begins his getting authority at the beginning of the tribulation period. Let's go on to the next horse. All right? 
When the second seal is open, back to Revelation chapter 6, when the second seal is open, John sees a red horse. This rider was given permission to take peace from the earth. Now, keep in mind what's going on. This is during that seven-year tribulation period, this man of intrigue, if you will, this rider on the white horse who's going to reveal himself to be the Antichrist. He's going to come out and start getting authority and conquer. Without any war, he's just going to get into power and he's going to be given authority over the globe. But at the same time, we're also going to see during this time period, chaos is going to erupt even more. And this rider was allowed to take peace from the earth. Now, this doesn't mean this is an individual like the rider on the white horse. Actually, you're going to see, and I'm going to show you in just a second, God uses his angels to accomplish some of these things as well. Because God uses his angels, as I'm going to show you in just a second, to assess the world. And he uses his angels to bring judgment. But he was given permission to take peace from the earth. Now, we already referenced earlier that he who restrains is going to be taken out of the way. And I believe without question, the Bible shows us that it is the Holy Spirit's action through the church. At the rapture, he who restrains will be taken out of the way. Right now, there is wickedness in this globe, and it is increasing, is it not? But folks, let me just tell you something and give you a, a glimpse of what I'm trying to help you help you understand. And hopefully God will help you see this. As bad as things are, as much wickedness as there is, as much killing and death and war as there is right now on the globe, it is not, you can't even compare what it's going to be like for this reason. God is actually right now still holding most of it back. What people don't realize is the fact that you and I are even alive is because God has by His grace kept Satan at bay. You remember when Satan appeared before God in Job chapter 1, and God points out Job? Because Satan's going looking for someone to devour. And God points out Job, and Satan says, well, the only reason he worships you is because you won't let me touch him. God says, I'll tell you what, you can do anything you want, just cannot touch him. What did Satan do to every one of Job's family when God gave him permission? He killed them all. Years and years ago, a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards preached a very, very famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And what he pointed out in that sermon was the passages in the Old Testament that said it's God who keeps us from slipping and falling into hell. It's God by His provision and by His mercy and by His grace who keeps us from going. And He gives us opportunity to respond. But if He chooses to remove His hand of protection, guess what? You're done. The Bible says at this point, this red horse is going to come out. And red's always talking about war and judgment. And he's allowed to remove peace from the earth. War is going to increase rapidly during this time. But the Bible also says, look closely at what it says in verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Look closely. It's more than just war. There's going to be war, and I'll show you that in a little bit. But he's also allowing, it's not just armies against armies anymore. It's people are just going to start killing each other. Anarchy, as you just said. Jeff, I saw you trying to raise your hand. Go ahead. It's just, it's interesting how it's the Lamb who's opening the seals. You know, we were taught always to fear the Antichrist. He's going to trick, he's going to do all these things. But Jesus is full and in complete control through every one of these steps. Yep. He's the one who's opening each seal and, and orchestrating and allowing it to happen. And that goes right exactly. And, and the question was, why is God doing this? I'll show you. Actually, and I can't wait to show you this. If you knew the Old Testament, 
you would read Revelation chapter 6 and these horses with a different color and you'd go, I've seen these horses before. Go with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1. Look at verses 7 through 17. We're going to see in Zechariah chapter 1 that these horses are sent out throughout the earth to assess the righteousness of the earth or what's going on on the globe. And then we're going to see in Zechariah chapter 6, the horses are sent out for God's purposes. Some are judgment, some are peace. Zechariah chapter 1, look at verses 7 through 17. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night and behold a man riding on a, you see it? Red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen and behind him were red sorrel and white horses. And then I said, what are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I'll show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing. And by the way, who is the angel of the Lord? That's Jesus before he took on flesh. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long... Will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the city of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And I'm exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with, my, with mercy with my mercy, my house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and, and again choose Jerusalem. So these riders, most likely angels that are servants of the Lord, they go out throughout the earth and they are assessing. One's on a red horse, another one's on a white horse, another one's on, this translation says dappled, it's kind of like a brownish color. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 6 and look at verses 1 through 8. Again, I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered me and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven. Do we hear it again? To the four winds of heaven, after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth, the chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country, the white one goes after them, the dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses come, came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go and patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth, and then he cried to me, Hold, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. So here we see that these colored horses are all servants of God who go out into the earth to assess or to bring judgment if need be. And you're going to see that the white horse usually ties toward victory. The red horse is going to be tied toward judgment. The black horses are going to be tied toward famine. And as you're going to see, another horse is coming out that you don't see in the other ones. Because in Zechariah, we see the red, we see the black, and we see the white. And then there were some dappled ones. But we're going to see a fourth horse come out now. And this one, as you're going to see, is a pale horse. And so what I want you to understand is, is 
these have been seen before. When John is given this vision and he's up in heaven and he's seeing what's going to take place after this. And when the four living creatures say, come, and these horses come out, these horses have been seen before. But God has used them to assess what's going on on the earth and also to bring judgment on the earth. And so this red one comes out and God has given this horse permission and the rider on this horse, which is one of his angels, permission to remove peace from the earth. Folks, it's going to get bad. It's going to get really bad. Have you ever noticed whenever there's a riot somewhere in a city and all of a sudden anarchy, like you were saying, breaks out and people just start looting and they start doing stuff? Wait until peace is removed from the earth. Wait until the church has been removed. We are the salt of the earth. Salt doesn't stop the decay, but it slows it down. It's a preservative. As much as things are getting worse, wouldn't the world love to have all the Christians gone anyway? They think as soon as these pain in our rear ends, especially in the voting booth, would just disappear. As soon as the church, these Christians, if they were gone, wouldn't it be great? They have no idea. Because not only will the salt of the earth, the slowing of the decay be removed, the one who restrains. But then not long after that, during this tribulation period, God removes peace from the earth totally. Folks, it's going to get really bad. <clears throat> third seal. The third seal brings out another horse and its rider. And this is black horse brings famine on the earth. Food will be scarce as it will take a day's pay just to eat. When it talks about a quart of wheat for a denarius, if you don't understand what that means, that's how much it took to make a loaf of bread. It's going to take a whole day, and a denarius was one day's pay. One day's pay will just get you a loaf of bread. By the way, if a one day's pay gets you a loaf of bread, do you realize there's not money for gas? There's not money for your electric bill, you understand what I'm saying? There's going to be a famine that breaks out at the same time. Yes, this one world leader is going to come on the scene and he's going to start gathering his authority and nations are going to come together and he's going to get into power. But at the same time, there's going to be chaos on the globe. Part of it will be for the fact that the church is gone and all the people trying to deal with the millions of people that have left. But at the same time, there's also going to be, during this time period, peace removed from the earth. And because of that, by the way, when people are out there killing each other, there's not people farming. And famine is going to be widespread. Go ahead. Okay. The, yeah, the church will be gone. But here's the deal. What I want you to understand as well is there's, there's debate among Bible students as to what does it mean don't hurt the oil and the wine. Some say that even though there'll be famine, it won't affect the rich folk. They'll have enough to be able to still eat. And that's a possibility. It could just mean that things like that are precious. I don't know. But I do know this much. At this point during the tribulation period, famine is going to break out. Now, I'm repeating things a lot tonight for a reason. Because before we close, I want to show you something cool. We probably won't have time to read it to you all. But I can't wait to show you that here in Revelation chapter 6, with the opening of the seals and what starts to go on, you're going to find an extremely exciting parallel between Revelation chapter 6 and Matthew 24, when Jesus is asked, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? And when Jesus says, don't let anybody deceive you because there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. This is the beginning, but the end is not yet. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be people claiming to be the Christ. Did you catch it? 
Jesus is describing in Matthew 24 the tribulation period. We have for years tried to read Matthew 24 into what's going on in our globe. And I've been guilty of it a time or two because we start seeing the, the earthquakes increase. And people are going, oh, it's just like Jesus said, the earthquakes are going to increase. And we tried to read our earthquakes into Matthew 24. I want you to hear me clearly. When Jesus describes what will be the signs right before his return, he's describing the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. And I'll show you that tonight as we wrap this all up. But it'll help you to really understand what Jesus is saying if you understand what's going to happen each seal. So the white horse is what? The Antichrist comes out. We won't know who he is at the beginning. He'll just become in power. But in three and a half years later, it'll become obvious to those who are on the earth who he really is. What the red horse represents. The judgment of God, which is what? Loss of peace from the earth. The wars will increase. And not only that, people will be killing their neighbors. And then the black horse is famine. Keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. All right, let's go to the next horse then. The fourth seal introduces to us another horse. This horse is a pale horse. Some translations say ashen. It's kind of like a death, death color of white. This horse and rider was given authority to kill one quarter of the earth's population. By the way, for those of you that got Tony Kessinger's book, these th things that must take place. He did the math for us. Does any, did anybody read this chapter? Does anybody remember the math? How many people pro most likely will that be that are killed during this time period? It's 1.5 billion. Let that sink in for a minute. He, he does the math of roughly how many probably people will be removed in the church. Seven billion on the earth right now. If we remove the, the church, the people that are left, it'll probably be 1.5 billion people will be put to death during this time period when this horse comes out. Folks, go ahead. This word uh, is chorus. That means pale. In this Bible, four different times, chorus was green. Here, they wrote pale because they hadn't seen a green horse, but this is really... It's a possibility. I know where you're going. And there are some, and I, and uh, some people try to make that the color of Islam and a possibility. It's a possibility. We have to be real careful that we don't run ahead. It, right, right, exactly. But again, it could be pale. It could be translated green. They're, both translations are accurate, is what I'm saying. Both translations are accurate. Yes, sir. Clarify the four-color horse. Four from God, but then the white horse is Antichrist. Well, actually, that's, God allows him to have authority as well. God, God's the one who sends it out. So you have to keep in mind, God is ultimately sovereign over what happens on the earth. And he does not cause evil, but he releases the floodgates, if you will. He controls whether or not Satan is allowed to do what Satan's good at doing. All right? So, yes, sir. Go ahead. Redeeming Israel, though? I'm sorry? Redeeming Israel. Much of this is focused, but not all of it is focused towards the covenant relationship with Israel. You're about to get, you, actually, you're right on it, because you're about, where we're going with this fourth horse will become even more clear. He's doing something to get Israel's attention throughout this whole process, and the world, but with what you just said, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 14. But actually, as you're turning, turning there, don't turn too quick. Go back to Revelation 6, and let's look again at what it says in verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse... And its rider was named Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. Stick with me here. Tell me, 
the way in which they're allowed to kill a quarter of the earth is through four specific ways. Now, don't miss this. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth. Are they allowed to kill everybody? No. Jesus actually said in Matthew 24, <laughs> if these days weren't shortened, no one would live. But God's controlling, even in the midst of this chaos of peace removed from the earth and famine on the globe, God's controlling how many people are dying and how many people are living. He's still in control. He's like you were saying, though, Jeff, trying to get Israel's attention. He's trying to get the attention of the, the nations as well. But I want you to tell me, what are the four ways in which this seal and the rider on this horse, the four ways in which the, the people are killed with what? Sword is one. What's another? Famine. Plague, which is like diseases. Ebola, if you will. And what's the last one? Wild animals. Let's keep this in mind because this is going to be real cool when I show you something. With sword, famine, pestilence, and wild animals. All right? Go ahead, Rick. Who's they in verse 8? The, the people that he's using to accomplish this. The answer is whoever is in power at this time, we could guess, but we don't want to try to predict when the Bible doesn't say, but the angels are also involved. Before we go any further, you all do know from your Old Testament stories how when the nation of Israel would be under attack, God would send an angel, and one angel could wipe out a whole army all at once in one night. Remember? So some of this judgment's coming from the angels. Remember the four winds of heaven are the description of these angels who have been given the authority by God to kill or to do damage on the earth, and they're told, don't do anything that you're allowed to do. Don't do what you've been created to do until the 144,000 are sealed and protected. And so the answer of they is angels and humans that God is using for His purposes during this time. Go to Ezekiel chapter 14. Yep, Ezekiel chapter 14. By the way, we can't even fathom what one and a half billion people dying is going to be like. Just to even try to imagine the bodies and how to deal with the dead bodies. Global warming is actually coming later on. People talk about global warming. It is coming. It is coming. That's another seal. We'll get to that one later on. That's another seal. We'll get to that one. I'm sorry? Uh, the, the famine, the pestilence, all that's all. This is all going to be tied together. It's good, Steve. All right, now listen closely to what I'm about to read to you in Ezekiel 14, starting in verse 12, because I want you to see there's two things here I want to pull out, two main things I want to pull out. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in that nation. They would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. In other words, God says, if I want to bring a judgment on a land because of their wickedness, it doesn't matter if Job and Noah and Daniel are in that land, the judgment's coming. Now, I say this to you for this reason, and I'm going to keep reading because there's something pretty cool coming out here. For years, as I've gone to National Days of Prayer, and trust me, I go and I pray and I seek God because we don't know what God's going to do. Like David when God had already brought the judgment that that child was going to die, he begged God and said, perhaps God would change his mind, but God didn't. 
But I've been to too many national days of prayer where people get together and they just say, it says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. But the problem is, is nowadays they're not quoting the turn from my wicked ways. They're just quoting, if my people will call, I'll heal their land. And when I was sitting at a national day of prayer five years ago, and that's all I kept hearing, every speaker that came up, it was rah, rah, sis, boom, bah. We're going to be fine as a nation because we're just going to, we're going to declare it. We're going to claim victory in America because, and God took me straight to this passage. And he said, Jim, if I've decided that I'm going to bring a judgment on a nation, even if Noah, Job, and Daniel were in it, it won't be stopped. We've already seen famine. Look at verse 15. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they ravage it and be, and be made desolate so that no one may pass through because of the beasts. Even if these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword against that land and say, let a sword pass through the land, and I cut off from it man and beast, though these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I send pestilence into that land and pour out my wrath upon it with blood to cut it off from man and beast, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence. Do you see it? To cut it off from man and beast. But behold, some survivors will be left in it, sons and daughters who will be brought out. Behold, when they come out to you and you see their ways and their deeds, you will be consoled for the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem. For all that I have brought upon it, they will console you. And when you see their ways and their deeds, you shall know that I have not done without cause. All that I have done in it declares the Lord God. You want me to go to chapter 7? All right. Yep. Jackie's starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. And yeah, the whole chapter. Right. Yep. But as you go down, he does the, it's because of the violence of the land. Yep. And he seals, the angels come and seal Yep. The righteous. the righteous will be protected, but the rest won't. See, you have to keep in mind, Israel won't be spared through this. Israel won't be spared. Individuals in Israel will be spared. As you're going to see later on in our study, again, there's so much. That's why it's so hard for me. Because, folks, if we really understood all that's already been told us, I could spend hours and we could never leave here just showing you in one little thing how many times it's all described. But the Bible actually says when the Antichrist steps into the wing of the temple, Jesus himself, and we're going to see it a little later tonight, he said, when you see this happen, run for your life. And he's talking to the nation of Israel. He said, pray that your flight doesn't happen on Sabbath or pray that it doesn't happen in winter because there's going to be a time like you would have never seen before. And the Bible says that Actually, the book of Zechariah shows us in chapter 12 and chapter 14 that actually two-thirds of the nation of Israel are going to be killed. Women are going to be raped. It's going to be unbelievable. One-third is going to escape into the wilderness where God's going to protect them for three and a half years during that last part. 
And then he's going to come back to where they are. We're going to get to all this later on if Jesus doesn't come get us beforehand. There's so much. Folks, we, we've, got, we've got days and days and days of study to go. But for right now, what I want you to understand is simply this. Look at Revelation 6. We are not seeing this for the first time. All these things that we're reading about have been prophesied about in the Old Testament all along. God said, this day is coming. This day is coming. This day is coming. The nation of Israel kept saying, oh, for the day of the Lord. And he had to say to the prophet Amos, you guys keep looking for the day of the Lord, Israel. It's not going to be a day of joy, but a day of gloom. Like a man who runs from this to escape a bear and he gets bitten by a snake. And everywhere he goes, it's going to... God is bringing judgment, like you said, Jeff. He's purifying Israel. He is going to spare by his grace a portion. And all Israel that is left will be saved by God's grace. But at the same time, he's also bringing judgment upon the nations for how they've treated Israel throughout this whole period. And so here's what I want you to hear. This isn't for us per se, because I believe if you're, in, if you're in Christ, you're going to be gone. But listen, for those who are believers during that time, for those who come to faith during that time, God will spare you, not that you won't go through these things. And we're going to talk about that in just a second as well. Not that you won't be killed, but your righteousness that is given to you by your faith will be what God says, you're mine. But it's not going to stop the judgment on the nations. Actually, the Bible says all the nations are going to be judged. And later on, we'll get into the part where Matthew 25, we've been taught about the sheep and the goats, and we try to make that the church. That's when at the end of the tribulation period, he comes back to the earth and he sets up his kingdom on the earth. And he gathers who's left on the earth, the few that are left on the earth. And he gathers them from all the nations and he judges them according to how they treated these brothers of mine. Joel chapter 3 says it very clearly. It's Israel, how they treated Israel during this time period. And if they treated Israel well, they get to enter the millennial kingdom. If they didn't, they go to hell. The sheep and the goat separation is not for the church. We'll already have been with him. The sheep and the goat separation is how he judges the nations at the end. So understand, God is doing a work during this time period. You're going to see it over and over. And by the way, one of the things you're about to see happens as we go further in this study is in the midst of all this judgment, in the midst of all this devastation and famine and one quarter of the earth's population being killed, how come God doesn't just wipe them all out? How come God doesn't just say, done? Why is he stretching it out over this time period? Any idea? He's given people, he's a merciful judge. He's bring, given them a chance to be saved. He's given people an opportunity to come to him and say, you were right. Our role. It's easy for us to say, well, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to worry about it. No, no, no. This was written to the church. The book of Revelation, even though we're not going to be here from chapter 4 on, was written to the church. Why? Because we are supposed to be preaching this and telling them this is what is to come. Oh, they're going to think we're crazy. They're going to think, oh, no, no, no. It was already all fulfilled by AD 70. None of this stuff's going to really happen. It's just symbolic. Ignore the people that will mock you. Ignore the people that don't understand that the whole book has been talking about this as a literal event to come. We in the church should be preaching this daily, telling people it's coming. Don't try to convince them. That's not our job. Don't try to win an argument. That's not our job. But we're to be telling them. Go ahead. You quoted, we're the salt of the earth. That we're, the ladies need to hey, we're also the light of the world. We're also the light of the world. So we need to know these things. My role is to teach you the word of God so that you'll know it. And then when those opportunities arise, you can tell people, 
Look, when they start talking about what's going on in the globe, you'll say, hey, the Bible said that was going to happen in Israel. What? Let me show you or go to this website <laughs> if you've got to. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Mark of the Beast, we're going to get there. We won't get there tonight. Um, but the best answer I can tell you is we don't know what it is, but it'll be on your forehead and on your hand. And so tell people down the road, not on yours and not on yours, but tell people if that day ever comes, say no. Say no. People try to get into whether or not it's a computer chip or a, a, a tattoo. And we don't know. The Bible hadn't told us. But if it is a computer chip, our dog can't be saved. Which is okay with me. All right. Now what? I'm sorry. All right. Go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Go with me to Matthew 24. I just got to look from my wife like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Matthew 24. Well, we will deal with the mark when we get to that section. Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. Jesus, talking about this time period, says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So if Jesus said, those days will be like none that have ever been on the earth and never will ever be again. Does Jesus know how bad things were going to be? Did Jesus know that the Holocaust was going to have six million Jews killed? And if Jesus said it's going to be worse than that, folks, tell people about Jesus. The time is running short. God's a God who says, look, by my grace, if you, like the thief on the cross, will say, you know what? I thought you weren't, but now I think you are. I believe he'll give you eternal life. You can take him and show him in the, in, in, in the, the book of Matthew. Jesus tells a story about the people who worked all day, and they were paid the same amount as the one who's only worked for an hour. He's a God of grace, and he's generous, and he gives salvation to all who will believe. We're to be telling people about Jesus. We're not to be fighting with each other over stuff. We're to be telling people about Jesus. But at the same time, if this book of Revelation was written to the church, we're to know what he says and what is to take place because we're supposed to be telling people so that the people that carry on after us who may go through this will have something to base it on when they start to see what's going to go on. You see, understand what I'm saying? Aren't you glad that Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and all these guys wrote what they wrote? Even though the Bible says they searched intently, trying to figure out the times that these things were going to take place. And God told them, this isn't for you. It's for later on. Aren't you glad that Isaiah wrote about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 and the prophecies about Jesus? We are being told similar things. These things that we read about in the book of Revelation, most of it will not apply to us because we won't be here. But we need to be faithful like Isaiah and Jeremiah and pass it on and pass it on. Because, and that's why my wife and I, I've told some of you, I don't know if we told you all, we've made a rapture packet in our house. There is a big packet hanging in our master bedroom on the wall because we built relationships with our neighbors. And we know that when the rapture occurs and we as a family are gone, the neighbors that aren't saved are going to say, whatever happened to Jim and Becky? And they're going to find their way into our house. And as they go looking through our house to find us, there is on our bedroom wall a huge 
packet with our whole family picture. We had to keep updating it because Jesus hadn't come as soon as we thought, but we hoped. But we keep updating the picture every year. But it says, are you looking for us? It says it real big. Are you looking for us? We have not been taken against our will. This is actually something we've been waiting for. And Jesus has come to get us. And what's going to happen next, you need to know about. Inside this packet will give you everything you need to know. And my wife has done an incredible job where she's actually taken it and written it in a loving way. But it shares the scriptures. And we've got it set up to we're going to preach even after the rapture. By the way, if you're interested in it, see my wife. We've got it on the computer and we don't mind passing it on to you. You're going to make your own packet and your own picture. But it is a wonderful way that we've, we, we want to share it now and we want to share it after we're gone. We've been given this information where to tell people. Let me show you two quick things, though. Matthew chapter 24, you're still there. Look at verse 3. Actually, we'll start in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. He's talking about what was going to happen in AD 70 when the nation of Israel was going to be judged. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Listen closely now. You're going to hear Jesus quote Revelation chapter 6. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, or I am the Christ. And they'll lead many astray, and you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. We haven't even gotten to that. We read it earlier at the beginning about the big earthquake that begins at the, during the first part of the tribulation period. You'll see famines and earthquakes. What is that word famine again, isn't it? Famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my sake. When he says you, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Jews. He's talking about the Jews. The church tried to read ourselves into this. We're not here during this time period. He's talking to the Jews. I can prove it to you as we keep reading. So they will deliver you Jews up to tribulation and put you to death. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And boy, if that isn't ramping up already. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophet will arise, prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased. Did I catch that? What horse is that? That's the red horse. He's allowed to take peace from the earth. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end of the seven-year period will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. By the way, we'll see that later on in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. There's going to be an angel that actually, at the end of the tribulation period, hovers in midair and proclaims the gospel to the whole world all at the same time. Jesus is referring to that angel, not that as soon as we get the gospel to the whole globe. The Bible's already said the gospel's made it to the whole globe. It says it two or three times in Scripture. It's very clear. But here he's talking about this angel that's going to proclaim it. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. By the way, did we read about that tonight? That's the Antichrist who's going to make this covenant. And at the three and a half year period, he's going to step into the wing of the temple. 
The abomination that causes desolation that we read in Daniel chapter 9. That, let the reader understand that, that those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. By the way, why does he say those who are in Judea? Because he's not talking to the church. He's talking to the Jews. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter. By the way, if he's writing to the church, it'll be winter somewhere. But he's not writing to the church. He's writing to the Jews. And pray that it won't be on a Sabbath. Is the Sabbath for, our, for the church? No. He's not writing to the church. Most of the end time prophecies where we got wrong was we tried to read the church into the end time prophecies. That's where it messes you up. But if you read it to be talking to the nation of Israel, it becomes very clear. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, never, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. That means the Messiah. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. We'll get to that later in our study. So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out there. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Folks, let me just tell you. Jesus is telling them about the tribulation period. He's describing the seals that are being opened. Famines, earthquakes, war, lawlessness increased. There's one who claims to be Christ. He's reading Revelation or quoting Revelation 6, but it hasn't even been written yet. But he knows what's to come. And that's why the book of Revelation needs to be taken literally. These things must take place. Mark, you have a question? Well, no, any Jew that comes to faith during that time period will be saved as well. But he's talking about at the very end, the wolves who make it, who are waiting for the Messiah, and don't bite into these, oh, this guy that claims to be Christ, that they really believe what it's being told, these are the ones that are going to be saved, but they've got to hang on. Because, it's, again, if you read Romans chapter 11, the whole chapter makes it very, very clear that all Israel that's left will be saved. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Now, I'm going to wrap up with one last thing. Revelation chapter 3. Go there real quickly. And that's going to set us up for where we're going to go next week. And I love that I can say next week. Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 10. Now remember, this was written to the church in Philadelphia, but it was not only written to the church in Philadelphia, but it was also written to who? Us. Because it says here what the Spirit says to the church as plural. So this promise is to us as well. Revelation chapter 10, or 3 verse 10. And I'm in Romans. Started with an R. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Did you catch that? He says to the church, because you've been faithful, I'm going to keep you from this hour of trial that's going to come on the earth. People for years have said, well, that doesn't mean that we'll be raptured. It just means that we'll be spared during the tribulation. He'll protect us during the tribulation. Let me read to you the next verse where we left off and where we'll pick up next week. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. 
When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Are they being spared? They're not being kept from the hour of trial. The ones who are saved during the tribulation, most all of them will be killed. So when Jesus says to the church, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial, he wasn't saying, I'll protect you in it, because the Bible's real clear that the ones who are saved during the tribulation period won't be protected. They'll be killed. Revelation 3.10 says to the church, I'll take you out of here before that day comes. Now, if we're to be faithful, what are we to be faithful doing? Sharing. We're to be his light. Remember, the, we did that whole study last time we were together, how the nation of Israel was supposed to be the light to the Gentiles and to everybody. They didn't do the greatest job. Now he's at the church, and we're to be the light. We haven't done the greatest job because we're too busy fighting over our interpretation and our, how we see it, and our denomination is better than your denomination. Even though Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you a new command. Love each other as I loved you. But it's the, all men will know you're my disciples by how you love each other and how you treat each other. This Lord's Supper that I'm having you take as often as you take it, it's in remembrance of me. I gave it for you, not individually. And so, folks, my challenge to you in these days that we have left is don't fight with your brothers and sisters over doctrine. Well, back up. You should stand solid on doctrine. Don't fight with your brothers and sisters over things that you shouldn't fight about, like music or translations or how you're to dress. Or what's the, how church service is supposed to be. You realize the Bible actually shows us that the whole idea of a church service, you all know where that came from? It came from Roman Catholicism. We broke in a lot of ways, but we didn't break in some other ways we should have. The Bible says in the last days, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, that we're to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We're not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. We're going to spend more time. We're supposed to spend more time together. And we're to encourage each other, listen, and all the more as we see the day approaching. You can't do that in a church service. where Everybody's sitting shoulder to shoulder, either looking at a screen or a hymn book, listening to one guy talk. But you can do it when we get together and sit at tables and encourage each other. I'm not saying we shouldn't have times that we get together as a church. I'm saying... Stop worrying about the church service or whether they took the offering in the right way or at the right place or whether or not there was a children's sermon or whether you thought it was too long or too short. Stop worrying about the things we worried about that we should have never thought about because that's not church. Church is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and loving each other. And let me share one more thing with you. And you'll hear me say this over and over again until Jesus takes me home. Paul never wrote to a church and said, how many are you running? Paul never wrote to a church and said, how many of you reached for Christ? He said, grow in your knowledge of Jesus and love each other more, and you'll be fine. That's my encouragement to you as well. In the days that are left, you want to be faithful? And then he's going to take us and spare us the hour of trial that's coming on the whole earth? Grow in your relationship with Jesus and love each other more, and you'll be fine. Stop worrying about whether your church is growing or shrinking. Stop worrying about the service and grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I love you all, and we'll see you next week.